You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Ellie Fox and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Uh, my name is Josie Harding. I'm Head of Insight and Evaluation in the Strategy Unit uh, at Mid and South Essex um, NHS Foundation Trust. Um, I've been in the NHS now since 2019, um, previously working in local authority. And um, my role is largely focused on strategic analytics um, across the trust and also across our health and care partnership across Mid and South Essex. Um, and also working on evaluations of projects that we do um, within the trust um, and system as well. Perfect. Thank you. Tom, if we could go over to you. Yeah, hi, so Tom Nicholas. I'm the Associate Director for Business Intelligence and Analytics at East London. So that's a um, trust that, that, that looks after mental health, community and primary care patients in East London and also Luton and Bedfordshire. Um, I'm responsible for, for the whole cycle of information. So from the data warehousing, um, all the processing that goes on and then visual analytics at the end and, and delivering, you know, hopefully meaningful analysis to, to frontline staff. Yeah, I've been in the NHS since 2004. Um, I've worked in various areas. So I've worked in Health Education England, NHS Improvement, um, Acute Hospitals and, and now I'm, I'm here at East London. Nice to meet you. Perfect. Thank you, Tom. And then Henry, if we can go over to you, please. Thanks, Elliot. So I'm Henry Anibogo. I'm the head of informatics at Barnett, Enfield and Haringey Mental Health and Community Trust. Um, a little bit about, well, I think I'm the youngest here. I joined the NHS in, uh, in 2010. Um, so I've been to acute primary care commissioning, then later ended up in mental health. My main role here it's more around the genesis of the data right from the information systems to how we actually translate this into meaningful data and we actually report this um, so i manage the central reporting team and this consists of um, database um, administrators and senior information analysts perfect thank you um, so we're going to get stuck into the questions so josie will go to you first uh, so your question was, as hospitals across the UK are concentrating on elective recovery following the pandemic, an important focus for the NHS is reducing health inequalities. How are you using data to reduce health inequalities? So if you could just give a, a bit of context to that and then we'll go around to the panel. Yeah, sure, no problem. So um, within um, MSE MFT, so Mid-South um, Foundation Trust, one of the things that we're really focusing on a lot at the moment is around health inequalities and um, understanding and reducing inequalities in access to healthcare, in outcomes for patients um, and, and experience as well. Um, it's something that we've been really passionate about, particularly within the strategy unit and the team that, I'm, that I sit within. And um, it was a large, it's been a large programme of work that we've been doing now since 2021. Um, and so it's certainly uh, one of our main priorities and aligned to our objectives as an organisation. So it was something that I wanted to talk about in detail today because it is a, 
it is a challenging topic, particularly from a data perspective to really understand. Um, so it was something that I wanted to shed some light on, really. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Tom, if we go over to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, lo I love this question. Um, we've just um, started um, doing some sort of health inequalities um, work here at East London and um, some sort of fascinating initial analysis is, is starting to come out. I think particularly you know, after COVID, and and obviously we all, we all know about sort of the recovery and and the long waiting lists and the long waiting times and and sort of reducing the backlog, trying to see, you know, how you know not you know, so how equitable is is some of our work to sort of um, you know return things back to normal. Um, and we've you know we've been looking at, at first Josie, I'm sure you're ahead of us on this, but we've been looking at various things like um, you know ethnicity, genders, languages. Um, um, some, we've been doing a little bit of work about you know the the areas that people come from, sort of the the, the deprivation index and deciles that people come from to to, to understand if 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 certain groups, you know, um, are, are being tra treated in an equitable way and. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated to hear more, more of your sort of work you've been going on, Jason. Thanks, Tom. Henry? Um, I think for us, obviously, we're fairly just looking in towards this part because we're just currently implementing a data warehouse now to try as much as possible to bring more data sources together so we can at least try and triangulate them. Um, but yes, just to echo from what Tom said, you know, during the COVID as well, so everyone was actually faced with all the challenges around waiting lists. And um, we felt it was extremely, very, very crucial to have had a lot of data from, you know, uh, um, even our EPR system, our GP uh, um, practice as well too. Um, likewise, our staff in our workforce around this as well too, because this would actually help. It actually helped us analyze the kind of like waiting list we've got based on our area because we actually cover around the major Barnet and Haringey and Enfield Borough in London as well too. So applying some sort of demographics on this data set actually provided some sort of insight to the kind of caseloads and cohorts we actually have within this London borough itself. So it would be quite very useful to see Josie your findings as well too it's quite very interesting for us. Thanks Henry. Uh, Josie, if we go back to you. Sure. Um, so I can give a bit of an overview on some of the things that we've been doing if that would be helpful. Um, so uh, in the beginning of 2021, the strategy unit began looking at uh, health inequalities. So initially this work was focused on the waiting list, um, but we didn't want to limit to just looking at ethnicity and deprivation. We wanted to look at a wide range of um, potential inequalities. So we also included age and sex in our analysis. And we also introduced site variation, which was specific for us as we're a emerged trust with three hospital sites. So we really wanted to understand that um, and that was important to us. So we actually analysed 76,000 patients and we generated slide decks identifying inequity on both the inpatient and outpatient waiting list for each specialty individually. Um, and this took us around three months. Um, and we were analysing two specialties per week. Um, and we did this with the help of some of our very skilled analysts within strategy unit and um, colleagues working um, alongside us within the health inequalities programme. Um, we're quite an unusual team, actually, because um, we, we bring a lot of different skill sets together, and that's why we refer to ourselves as a unit. So we have a, a number of different skills from public health to experience in education to local authority experience and acute experience. So bringing all of that together made us a good fit for this particular task. Um, so essentially what we did was we, we looked at understanding what that variation was and what was unwarranted. 
Um, and this is something that's really difficult to understand from data alone. Um, so in order to do this, we have to work really closely with each specialty. And the main reason why we have to do that is um, because data might tell us something that actually there could be process reasons. For example, some clinics might be male only or female only clinics. So we need to understand things like that when we're looking at our data to see what's warranted and what's unwarranted. Um, and that's something that we did with the specialties hand in hand um, and uh, actually went through and identified what was um variation that we thought we needed to mitigate again and um what this actually led to and the thing that i think is really important is around um action planning and actually putting actions to insight and that's something that we're really passionate about is not just providing that analytics but actually looking at how we're going to translate that into action so um, this generated 27 action plans uh, an action plan by each specialty looking at their their analysis their uh, their analysis that we produced and um every action was aligned to a finding through our analysis which was over 100 actions across the specifically dedicated to uh, reducing unwarranted variation um, and some of those things ranged from things like creating more flexible appointment times to things like uh, unconscious bias training for staff um, and there's some of just some examples of some of the things that we did so um, we've actually analyzed this as well one year on so we wanted to understand if this had made an impact and one year on we've seen that we've since evaluated the impact of this work um, understand if we've made improvements in reducing health inequalities and we've actually seen improvements in waiting times in deprived areas and um, we've seen that we've ensured that there's no difference in waiting times for males and females we've also reduced variation by site um, and this is a really interesting thing because I think health inequalities is viewed as something that takes a long time to see change measurable change through data and actually in just 12 months we've been able to demonstrate movement with some of our dedicated specialties who've been really really engaged and involved in this process and um, with that clinical leadership and with that robust analysis, actually, you can see improvements in a reasonably short period of time. We weren't necessarily expecting that. We were anticipating that this might be something that would take a long time to see movement from a data perspective. But actually, we have seen that. And following that, we've actually, um, following those successes, done a lot more work on other aspects. So waiting list was our starting point, but now we've looked at other areas of access, so cancellations, DNAs, and we've looked at outcomes, so things like mortality, readmission, length of stay. And at the moment, we're currently focusing, focusing on patient experience and family experience. And so we've really worked through those, those areas, which has been um, a really, really interesting um, addition to the waiting list work really to show that we're, we're committed to the fact that we've seen improvements and so we want to continue understanding more and more about that inequalities and more and more about what our patients actually feel. Thanks Josie. Tom did you have something yeah, to add? No no uh, yeah just just fascinated and um, I hope this isn't too much of a technical question so so audience forgive me but this is a data podcast and I was I was the unwarranted variation is is fascinating me with with some of the work that we've started um, doing here is is you know when when you started analysing um, the data for example waiting times or DNAs and, and you sort of stratified it by gender or or, or um, the ethnicity or, or age groups and stuff um, how did you decide what sort of um, to focus what should focus your attention where you should look at because you know presumably there's always going to be a fractional difference between some of these groups in terms of their waiting times or their waiting times at what point did you decide that was that was an, a sort of you know that was an area that needed attention so this is where actually working with our clinical colleagues was really really beneficial so we started with a, with what we referred to as a desktop exercise essentially looking at all of our data identifying anything that was statistically significantly different 
And that was our, our main focus initially and to highlight all of those. And um, once we did that, we then went to each individual specialty and said, here is everything that we are seeing as statistically significantly different. We did also identify things that weren't statistically different, but were different measurably different because we wanted them to see everything we didn't want to hide something to say it's only one percent so we're not going to mention it we thought it was still important because if there's an improvement to be made we can still make that improvement even if it's not statistically significant um, but we we identified everything and we talked through it with each specialty and what was really helpful was with our clinical colleagues we were able to ask questions of data so some things were explained by you are you will see that here in that area because that's an all-male clinic okay we can explain that and we can move on from that um, and others were areas we couldn't explain and, and areas that our clinical colleagues were really interested in, wanted to understand more about. And we did a lot of deep dive work also. So there were questions back to us. Can you go into more detail about that? Can you explain that further? And some things were particular conditions. Could you actually break that down for me by age, by condition? And we went, we went back and we did all of those deep dive questions. And that was to help them think about their action plans and what they wanted to address. And so with a combination of what's statistically significant and and measurably different what clinical colleagues felt was happening on the ground what they were saying what what the processes were around patient and also um looking at specific areas within a particular inequality breaking that down it giving more detail around particular types of conditions particular times of the day and the week and things like that we were able to then pinpoint some specific areas of focus that would be impactful and that with, with clinical colleagues was agreed would be appropriate. Um, and this is this is what's been really, really helpful about this piece is that it's not been a desktop exercise in isolation. And sometimes with data, it, we can get a story from data and actually then it doesn't necessarily always marry up to the reality of what's happening. And it's difficult sometimes to, to join the two together. And I think this is where we've been really successful in this piece. Yeah, I mean, I love that. You've got this statistical rigor um, you know, at one point, but that's that's not blindly being followed. It's kind of informing. And then it sounds like you've got the clinical conversations happening at the same time. So, yeah, sounds like a great approach. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Has anyone got anything else to add uh, before we move on to the next question? No? Cool. Um, so, Tom, got to go over to you. Uh, so your question, East London has been taking a new approach to its business intelligence solution by building integrated applications to make data more accessible to a wider audience across the trust. Can you explain this approach and the challenge of making data available to busy frontline healthcare staff? Yeah, so I think I think this is this is a, a, a huge one and I think it's probably not just the health service, it's probably right across industry is, is you know. And I was thinking, you know, as a, as a population, we, we're recording an awful lot of data and we're probably recording more data than we ever had before. I mean, I don't know if available members of the panel, you know, have activity watches or, you know, Fitbits and stuff like that. but. You know, we're, we're, we used to just record steps. Now we're recording, um, you know, our calories burnt, our average heart rate, um, you know, our, our sleep quality, our body battery, whatever that means, stress levels, you know. And, and of course, we're not recording it for the sake of recording it. We're recording it because actually we're really interested in the analysis. And I just sort of pivot that across to kind of healthcare and stuff. And of course, in the NHS, you know, we've got some of the biggest data sets in the world and we've been recording for decades. But I think, the, you know, the, the challenge is, is, is how do we get all that data across to the front line? You know, how do we channel all that data out of all our enormous servers of data, get it meaningful to the front line and get it digested really quickly by some really busy people. So that's the sort of journey we've been trying to, to go on 
um, here at East London is is really working hard to just just to to engage more with staff. And I don't know if if I, I presume other members of the panel, this is a, probably a shared problem. Thanks, Tom. Henry, if we go over to you, you're on mute. <laughs> Had to be one, didn't there? <laughs> I think uh, your your question, Tom, kind of like links in with what I actually want to raise as well. So because yes, you've just touched the nail. We do have in the NHS, loads of data. We're constantly recording data, but how do we actually make this data even meaningful for people actually accessible? It's a huge question. I feel a lot around, the problem around the NHS is that, or I feel in most industries is that we just record data and we don't actually provide a lot of insights on them. And there's a wealth of information that can actually be, i.e. we can talk about things about, we even record data that are not even structured, or even the structured ones, we still don't even provide analysis on it. All these data can be quite very, very predictive, which actually makes a lot of providers to become more proactive rather than just reactive, because it's extremely very, very essential. Like you said, um, we have information on our Fitbits, we have information in acute trust, we have information in you know mental health trust, we have information in our GP centers as well. So all these informations are quite extremely very, very useful. If you actually apply a lot of analytics on them, you can actually see that you're actually meeting most of your targets and actually providing the best possible care for that patient in particular. Thanks, Henry. And Josie, we'll go over to you. I mean, um, get open source and access to data is something that's really, really, um, everyone loves to be able to see their data. It's really important that people feel connected to data as well. So I think this is a brilliant one to, to discuss and, and touch on really. And I think there's a couple of things that I'm always really interested in around this, where, where we're making data more, more visible. And one is around managing that single version of the tree, which is often a, a key factor really in when we've got multiple data sets being shown to people all the time. Are we, are, we say, are we saying the same messages every time? And I'm assuming that this will help with that. Um, and also something that I'm quite interested in around providing staff with as much data as possible is understanding how that data is being used and also ensuring that people are interpreting that data correctly. So often when we're able to analyse data and maybe put recommendations forward, it's slightly different, isn't it, to when we're showing data to people and data people are able to do their own analysis. Um, so I'm interested in kind of hearing more about that and maybe your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's a never ending topic and, it, and it's probably one that we'll, we'll, we'll never achieve 100%, but I guess what we're trying to do is just, just, just gradually progress and get more um, more sort of clinical decisions supported by data, obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just just take you back to sort of East London, sort of back in in 2013, and I think this would be the picture in many trusts. Is, is we just sort of developed a data warehouse. We had suddenly our analysts had reams of data on their hands, and and the demand for data was huge. And this is why you know I, I think this the assumption that people aren't interested in data is i think is is changing all the time i think like like with our fitbit example i think the general population loves data they like to see their dashboards they like to get notified notifications when they've hit targets and stuff like that so the huge demand but you know we 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 found ourselves in a position where you know almost like someone from the fire service we had all this data and we were just spraying it everywhere we could and trying to meet the demands and trying to sort of you know sort of um reduce the fire and stuff like that and um, I think in in about 2013 um, we took a review of our sort of existing reporting um, solution and we found out that 
that in the kind of exponential and unstructured growth that we'd sort of grown our reporting suite out, people would, couldn't find, um, you know, what they wanted. There was thousands of reports, they were everywhere. So so we, we, we began a different chapter, something that we've called like the integrated Apple, the integrated portal. And what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to focus our analytics on 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 clinical services and 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 clinical pathways. So, um, and within those pathways, trying to integrate the different data sets all in one place. Um, so you can imagine if you're if you're if you're a ward, it's 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 not just your clinical data that's affecting um, the outcomes of your ward. It's also um, you know your human resources data. You know your it's also um, your incidence data. It's also your finance data. So what we've been trying really hard with integrated app is is to start to place some of those data items all on one page in a kind of flow style dashboard, so you can see. You know the pressures on a on a service team or the pressures on a ward, and begin to link the factors together. So, you know, is it is it is it that um, you know waiting times, or is it that 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 incidents on the ward, violence and aggression, or things like that? You know, how how does that compare against you know some of these staffing levels on the ward, or the occup the occupancy levels, or or the you know use of temporary staff and bank and agency staff? So that's what we've you know that's the journey we've started to to go on, and I think the second thing and is 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 about the access um, to um, to you know the dashboards and the data is is that you know we can't expect you know people on ward rounds or people conducting safety huddles to have to, to necessarily decamp to you know an office or to, to a machine to um to start you know sort of log into the dashboards and stuff like that so i think accessibility is really important so we've started working to to allow you know our apps to be used on portable devices on mobile devices as well so people can access them you know wherever they are in situ and stuff like that that's been quite successful I think you know the sort of how to interpret data is, is is a really fascinating one. So so East London here we've got a big drive on quality improvement and the use of time series charts and um, we we found that really useful in some of our um, dashboards is with the training of kind of quality improvement and and when to understand that something significant is happening because you know as, as we all know no no two days are going to be the same. But to have some guidance of when a particular incident or a particular pressure is not the normal um, to then sort of help some of the actions. Um, there's a couple of sort of other things that, that have really helped us is, is, is one, um, the use of ward screens in wards. So to, to be able to sort of present dashboards and information at situ. And the second thing is um, one of the um, initiatives we're running here, which is something we call um, Dates with Data. So um, it's really to get our analysts out there into the front line, having conversations and talking about data with frontline staffs and clinicians. You know, when we, when we first thought about this concept of having a date with an analyst about data, we, we didn't think it would be very popular. We thought the last thing someone might want to do is, is talk to data to one of our analysts, but we, we've been absolutely shocked and surprised. And over the over the six months, we've I think we've had close to 50 dates with data. So to talking to frontline staff and clinicians about data, understanding their data needs, understanding um, you know, what would help them in their day job, what 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 factors would they love to look at but perhaps don't know how to and and, and also 
on the other side of the equation, are analysts sort of telling them what the art of the possible is? Because sometimes you can't appreciate how sort of powerful some of these um, sort of visualization tools can be. And that two way conversation of understanding what the sort of clinical need and clinical requirements, but then the other conversation of, 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 of telling you what the technology can do nowadays. I mean, you know, we've got some wonderful um, sort of geo maps where, where people can have a look at, you know, um, sort of health inequalities across across the borough. Um, you know, we've got some self-service dashboards which we're just starting to roll out where people can start to ask their own questions of the data. They don't have to be led um, by what the chart is. They can start asking, can you can you tell me, you know, this factor by this factor? And and also, you know, to begin to 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 sort of build the sort of balanced dashboards that, that they like to see. So yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 about it's about um, having the conversations um, with 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 the frontline staff, understanding what they can do, and then placing it in a place which is really easily accessible to them. Whether that's a ward screen or whether it's allowing them to to start looking at the dashboards, you know, on their mobile phone or on their kind of portable device, you know, rather than a thing. And 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 then yeah, and then and then having and this is where where the sort of analyst come in is 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 finding that visualization um which which can land really quickly because you know as we all know with you know dashboards is that you know a, a really powerful dashboard is one that you'd, you'd really only have a, a glance at and then it would inform you on the correct direction and you know i'm sure so so many of us have, have found dashboards where actually you know someone's scratching their head and trying to piece it together for sort of five or ten minutes and you know that that that's not going to just that's not going to land and you know really um some of our sort of quality control work on the wards is is what we're really trying to get safety huddles during their conversations is they could have a, a you know a 30 second just glance at, at the safety dashboard and just get a feel if everything's you know data wise is as expected because you know on their day-to-day -day busy lives they might not have known that there being a, a, a very small but significant increase in, in incidents or violence or, or, or something like that, you know, and that's where the dashboard can start to help. It can just give them a little insight that, you know, have you noticed this slight change or, you know, were you aware of it? And it just might just inform a little conversation or a little investigation that might improve something. So, um, yeah, so, so I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's not going to be... It's, it's going to be continuous and, you know, we've got a quality improvement project and I think we've got 25 change ideas to try and drive up the utilisation of our dashboards in East London and it, it covers everything under the sun from, from training to, to engagement to, to innovations to inspire people, um, to training our analysts to use, you know, more human language and you know not to, not to scare people off with with some technical terms so it, you know it covers covers that you know it's a it's a, it's a huge and it's a fascinating topic thanks tam has anyone got anything to add before we move on to the next question yeah josie I, go? Um, I think it's a really, really, uh, uh, so I agree with you around, I think there is a bit of a misconception that people don't like data or aren't familiar with data. And like you've used examples already, people actually really enjoy looking at data for things that, that, they, um, that they're interested in. And um, I really like the idea of putting data in that familiar format. So something someone can access on their phone or, because often I think actually what, what makes, what makes it difficult to engage 
um, an organisation with with its data in some cases is more the format in which the data is being received. And actually, if you can view data in a way that you're familiar with, then I think it makes it much easier and um, really opens it up to, to, to everyone to to be able to, to view. So I think that's really great. And I'm really interested in that idea around the integrated data and what you've mentioned about bringing lots and lots of different data sets together. Um, and I think you've touched on this, this already really, but I was interested in, in how that's impacted things like workforce planning or winter planning. And if it maybe helped with anything like any early warning sign indicators of things that might be um, happening in the future. So with that com with that integrated data, you can look at multiple data sets at once, can't you? So that, that might help you to identify things at an earlier stage yeah and and i guess um so we've 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 got we've just i mean it's 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 in our it's it's in it's in our and in its infancy our kind of workforce data that we've just started to sort of add into our integrated dashboards and some of the early work actually we've we've been doing is in in terms of understanding the kind of the sort of staff cohort so understanding um the kind of um you know the sort of absentees and some of the sickness trends also understanding some of the sort of reasons for leaving and making that sort of visible um so that you know sort of departments wards and areas can start to get some intelligence about their sort of workforce and the kind of um, um some of the sort of outcomes and some of the the, the planning as well um, and one of the things, and I think I think everyone must be doing it now, is we're really sort of starting to concentrate on flow and sort of capacity and demand. And what we're trying to do um, sort of going forward with some of our dashboards is, is, is using um, some of the demand coming into the service, but also against some of the sort of staffing levels and capacity. And the seasonality is, is, is a fascinating one. And, and I think that that's, that's something that we'd really like to start putting into our dashboards is, 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 is using some of the kind of demand in the past and predicting some of the sickness and absence patterns to kind of say, you know, where the extra capacity um, needs to be done. I mean, yeah, I mean, the fa fantastic innovations that you, you've given us there, Josie, that I think uh, we're going to start taking away and adding into the integrated setup. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we'll move on to the next question then. So Henry, this is yours. How can NHS organisations collaborate to adopt the latest technological advancements in data analytics and reporting? Thanks, Ellie. I think the best way I'll just try and approach it is that I'll start with the data, then analytics, then reporting based on that. So um, we're all users, we're all service users, we can be patients, we can be this. Um, for me as well, too, I just feel that as a patient or as you know, a service user, my data sitting across in my GP, acute and local authority, should all be on some sort of shared platform because it's exactly entirely the same data and uh, information that I would actually share. So, so we do capture all this data, but the problem I see here as well, and I'm very glad that the NHS is actually moving forward ahead with this, with having some sort of shared data platform. For us in the um, North Central London, we do have this um, NCL platform, which is called the Healthy Analytics, whereby a lot of providers are actually contributing to this platform. Because like you said, taking a service user from that core perspective, it's exactly the same. Um, it's good as well to, to make sure that this data is kind of like it's readily, readily available. It does not have to be repeated because as a person, you don't want to be asked exactly the same question over and over again. My age, my demographics, my, my certain information as well has already been shared with my GP. I did not need to go to another hospital and 
be asked that same question again. So it's quite very frustrating as well to, from that perspective. So, so I just feel that we are at that stage of actually getting to some sort of shared platform, which is extremely very, very important. Now for the analytical part as well. So I think every analyst will say that if they have a lot of data points and a lot of data sources, they can actually analyze and provide more insights as well too. So um, an analyst that has um, information from GP, their local authority, their, their, their providers as well too, can better analyze um, data itself or, or that information. Um, a typical example is that the patient who is kind of like presenting with a lot of information in their primary care. It's quite very, very easy for you to analyze and predict how that patient is actually going to end up in a secondary care. This can actually at least also inform or advise a lot of people around things like seasonal or winter pressures or even waiting lists or even things like the COVID pandemic that actually affected us all now. So uh, um, if, if, if that sort of data was actually shared, it will, it will have actually helped us a lot. I feel we need to actually step out from these silos as NHS and allow our systems to actually talk to each other, especially because it's extremely very useful when you actually want to provide more data insights into this. Reporting-wise, um, it goes back to the saying of, I think most of us are quite very, very reactive and not proactive. <laughs> We just produce loads and tons of reports, just regurgitating reports and reports all the time. And at times people just get overwhelmed with reports. I feel too much reports is as good as no report at all. Just to echo from what Tom said as well, so it, it, it's, it's more like uh, um, before even the patient actually appears to an appointment, I think the clinician should have all the information that they have in front of them. This data is actually coming from one source but it's just how you actually present it and make this information for the right audience as well. So it's extremely very, very useful for us to be providing and utilizing technologies around mobile devices, mobile reports as well too. For us in the trust as well too, we've just adopted um, Power BI. Um, our initial reporting was SSRS and it's quite very difficult for you to deploy reports on mobile devices. But Power BI is quite very, very intuitive. It's user-friendly. And you can actually view a lot of dashboards on your, you know, um, on mobile devices as well, so not just the regular uh, um, desktop and screens. Sorry, I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. <laughs> uh, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 a great topic, Henry. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction. Whether whether we're moving fast enough or is 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 another question, but. I mean, I can remember when I first joined the NHS is that, um, you know, data sharing was almost impossible and the, the, the kind of the governance that you'd have to go to to share data between, you know, primary care and mental health services and in community health services and hospital trusts was was, you know, something that would take years and years and years. And and the, the thing that I always found very strange is when I talk to people outside the NHS, they thought the NHS was one body. They thought when they had consultations with their GP and then they turned up at the hospital a week later, they thought the hospital would be aware of the conversations they had. And they didn't understand that their data wasn't shared with the people that needed the information so that they got the complete healthcare view. And yet, despite all of that, there seem to be so many barriers within the NHS at sharing data. And I, I think it is getting better in this. There's, there's a lot of initiatives now about 
sharing um, data and and sort of passing data between and I think we're getting to a better place some of the and I don't know Henry if you if, if you've got any insight into this but some of the the slight complexities in the NHS is that you know especially in, in reporting wise is is that we, we we have so many local definitions or local kind of um, ideas of, 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 of what something means and and sometimes to to join the data together and benchmark it, it would it would be nice centrally to have a little bit more kind of governance and direction on what some of the kind of what some of the calculations are universally. So we're all saying the same thing. But I guess the first thing is I, I always think is just you know sharing data, warts and all, and then coming together and 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 collaborating and understand it. But yes, it's a great one. Thank you, Tom. Josie, we'll go over to you. Yeah. Um. Just echoing what. Tom said about data sharing really and thinking that this even goes beyond data sharing as such to being able to show insights from an integrated data set across multiple organisations allows for um, us to view that patient pathway in its entirety and get others to start talking about that as an entire pathway rather than a primary care delivery and acute delivery and community deliverable. Um, and that's what's really, really powerful about being able to integrate data together. So I'd be really interested in, in learning more about what you've done. There were a couple of questions that I had really just around uses of the integrated data and, and bringing data together from multiple organisations. And I think it was one really around, are there any predictive analytics uses that are in the pipeline for this? And or, or equally in light, in light of bringing uh, kind of removing some organisational barriers within data and bringing a pathway of data together. Is there any analysis around planned around resource allocation so that rather than necessarily focusing on how to allocate resources by each organisation, looking at how to allocate resources across a system, so like across an ICS view, for example? Henry? Yes, I, I, I think you just basically touched on it all because I've, I really come from that sort of predictive analysis. I'm more kind of like pro, um, proactive. Um, just ju just to touch back on Tom's point as well to the people we're actually talking about you know they think that we are this data is actually shared across the entire NHS and it does happen to me as well to you know I have provided a lot of information to my primary care as well to but when I actually get to like you know other providers as well to they just repeat exactly the same thing this to me at times could even be time consuming waste of time because this information should have already been readily available for them just by providing that. In terms of going back to that sort of predictive analysis, I think, you know, just to echo from what Thomas said to us, well, we are all capturing data one way or the other, right? From our Fitbits, when we actually wake up, right to our GP, our GP registered, um, provider collaboratives as well too. And, you know, working in, in an integrated fashion, this allows some, for some sort of planning as well too. It does really help because, uh, um, every single person is actually leaving some sort of data point somewhere and data footprint somewhere. And these data points are extremely very, very useful, especially when you want to start not being too technical, but we actually call this applying some sort of variables and anal analysis when you want to actually apply certain things around, you know, time series analysis or non-regression analysis. These indicating variables are extremely very, very important because it does really help to actually predict an outcome 
So if a patient is actually, or a service user is actually presenting somewhere or providing or doing certain things in all these data points, it does actually help to analyze unexpected outcomes down the line. It's just in the world of analytics and it's, it's extremely very, very useful. We actually start talking to each other because we are still one provider of care. Thank you, Henry. Has anyone got anything to add before we finish? No. Just yeah, yeah, Henry. Just I was just wondering, um, you know, in in integ integrated analytics, but you know, also the the, the thousands of different you know, sort of clinical systems and 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 that would be you know used right across you know the integrated care system, the hospitals and and the, the GP practices, and you know all all the different rec recording. And I, I think I think there's also a responsibility for the suppliers of these you know systems and 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 to to be able to provide the data in a way that it can be integrated with other systems and you know to allow the free flow of data and and you know that that sort of cross way of data of sharing data between systems as well and you know i think i don't know what your experience is but you know there are some some providers of of clinical systems out there that are you know quite you know sort of um, active and and sort of you know sort of flexible in allowing their data to sort of flow in and out of kind of integrated data sets and some are kind of quite reserved and it would be nice to get to a position where it wasn't only the NHS but it was the suppliers that that they work with in terms of the software suppliers that they could start you know helping some of the processes as well. Yes definitely Tom um, you, you're entirely right on that because um, and at times I always hope for the government to try and kind of like intercede, especially when when it comes to suppliers and providers as well. To don't just leave that onerous tax to just the providers as well too. There should be some sort of intervention on all these suppliers out there. They need to actually be benchmarked. Allow their systems to actually, you know, allow other systems to talk to to talk to each other, especially with the use of APIs and all that. Because, you know, whether we like it or not, or whether you're a software or not, you know, patient or clinical information will still remain exactly the same. We have got, you know, standards across there, like even our ICD-10 codings or our SNOMED coding systems that are actually there as well too. But we need to actually make sure that we bring the suppliers up to speed as well too, to actually deliver some sort of integrated NHS care. Because like I said, we are still one provider. Thank you, Henry. 